Hey everyone, welcome to Emmanuel Fellowship's podcast. This is Pastor Trent, the founding pastor of Emmanuel Fellowship, a church in South Minneapolis that exists to serve our city and to live for God's glory. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We pray that this message encourages you to follow Jesus and to see his presence and power everywhere in your life. Well, in December 1873, one of the most impactful, influential Christian songs of the last two centuries was penned by the grief-stricken hand of Horatio Gates Spafford. Horatio was a prominent lawyer and a landowner in the Chicago area. He was an elder in a Presbyterian church in the city, and in 1871, a couple years before he wrote this song, a massive fire ravaged downtown Chicago burning countless buildings, disrupting life, rendering many people homeless. And as tragic as that fire was for the city and even for the Spafford family, that was not the instance in which he wrote this great hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Maybe you know it. When peace, I'm not going to sing, sorry. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Two years after the fire, the Spafford family actually set out for a long um, holiday, um, a trip really to Europe, from Chicago to Europe in England, where their friend and also traveling evangelist D.L. Moody was going to be speaking. And so they um, prepared for this grand voyage all the way across the Atlantic, and because of some last-minute business matters, Horatio had to stay behind in Chicago and sent his family ahead of time. He was heavily involved in the reconstruction of the city after the fire, and when he sent his family ahead, traveling across the Atlantic by steamship, he uh, didn't know he was sending his daughters off to see them for the last time. The vessel was struck by an iron sailing boat and sank to the bottom of the Atlantic within 12 minutes. His wife, Anna, was the lone member of his family that was spared, and she was found lying unconscious on a piece of driftwood. Now, the song does not justify the tragedy by any means. But there's something about the widespread appreciation of it is well with my soul that that strikes, it it hits this common thread in humanity's story. We live in a fearful world. And catastrophe probably won't strike your life quite like it did the Spafford's. Probably you don't need to have this kind of dramatic experience in your life in order to recognize that Christ can bring peace to your soul. Probably your experience in life will not be something like that. But fear will be your experience in life. It may not be that you need to, you know, stay away from steamships. But there is something probably to the fact that you fear a job transition that's coming. Or perhaps the performance on a project that you're doing right now. Maybe it's you fear you'll never find that someone to marry. Maybe it's you fear that your marriage will not make it through troubled waters. Maybe it's you fear that financial hardship will come. Maybe it's you fear that there's unsafety, danger in your neighborhood. 
fear is the common experience of us all. And despite the societal advances, whether it's from the days of steamships or the days of sailing boats like Jesus was riding on, these advancements that we have in the world serve only as veneers to some of the danger in the world. Sometimes we wonder if chaos is lurking around the next corner. Horatio immediately tried to reunite with his wife. Can you imagine? He, he, he immediately tried to get onto a ship and then cross the Atlantic, just like his family had done, to be with her again. And it's said that perhaps somewhere near the coordinates of the wreckage is when he went to his room and penned the words of this great hymn. It was um, the fourth stanza that actually caught my attention this week as I was reflecting on the song. It reads like this. For me be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pain shall be mine, for in death as in life, thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. You'll whisper peace to my soul. Friends, this is the setup of this whole section of Mark's gospel. Fear. Fear is the backdrop that spans three chapters worth of stories that the gospel writer is stringing one after the other to make an incredible point. And so having sort of looked at the setup, what I want to do is sort of walk you through these stories and then ask the question, so what? What does this mean for us? So let's jump right into the scriptures. And I will just start reading, and then I'll keep reading, and then I'll keep reading, and eventually we'll make it through these chapters, okay? Um, check this out. This is Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. If you've got a Bible, open it up. If you've got an app on your phone, go ahead. We'll get some scrolling practice in today. All right, we're going to read. Here it is, Mark 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. The other, boats were with, the other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and waves were breaking into the boat, and the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who then is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? That question, who is Jesus, is the focus of this book. It's a biography about him, but it's meant to answer the question, who was this man who lived and walked the earth? And the disciples are wondering at this moment when they see yet a miracle that's probably grander than they could have imagined. They'd seen him heal, they'd seen him minister to others, and now they see him literally speak, and the storm stops. Who is this? What reveals his identity is far more than a teacher. And that somehow he has complete control over the natural world. 
He can say to wind, he can say to waters, and they do things. The sphere here in this first story is, of course, natural world, the natural order. It is the, the very earth, the sea, the land, the sky, everything that we live within. And all throughout history, some of these forces have been, of course, paused for an incredible measure on the part of humanity, even some fear when we hear the roaring of waves, or we lean over a spot on a mountain hike. The result, of course, of this first story is clear. They're amazed. They're wondering, who is this? It even says that they're afraid. Their fear has shifted. Afraid of the wind and waves, and now they're afraid in a different way of him. Reverent. Let's keep reading. What we see here is, is another story of a completely different kind. Picking up in verse 5, they came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped foot out of the boat, immediately there met him one out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. And he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound by shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces and no one had strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones and then he saw Jesus from afar and he ran down and fell before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus? Son of the most high God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. He's afraid. And Jesus asked him, saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. For we are many. And he begged him earnestly to not send him out of the country. And now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. And so he gave them permission. The unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, and rushed down a steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. And then the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had been with the, had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged Jesus as well, that he might be with him. And yet he did not permit him. But he said to him, go. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has, had, has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Very different story, isn't it? But do you see some of the parallels already beginning to emerge? Look at the fear that this man with a legion of spirits influencing him has before Jesus. He runs to Jesus, trembles before him, and says, don't torment Jesus clearly has the authority in the situation, able enough to just sort of send with permission. I love that word. Then you have permission to go somewhere. Jesus commanding clearly the sphere of the spiritual. 
Here we have another story with a different location. You have the natural world with the wind and the waves, and now you have this sort of unseen and spiritual realm coming into play, asking Jesus and putting on display that he is the son of the most high God in the beginning of the passage, and then the Lord of mercy in the end of the passage. The result, if you just sort of look big picture what's going on, is Jesus extends mercy. The man, all of a sudden, whom no one could subdue, is obedient in his right mind and takes a delegation to go send and preach the good news to the surrounding area. The flip is incredible. From, from chaos to sanity, here's you see this repeated theme that when Christ enters chaos, all is made well. When he enters the storm and wakes from his sleep and the chaos that's raging around the boat, all is made well. And then when this man comes and he approaches a town and all is chaotic, Jesus comes and things are made well. And the people marvel, yet some reject him. They say, get away. And then some beg him, can we be with you? And here again, the stories continue, piling on top of each other around the same themes. Look at verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. This is true wherever he goes. Flocks of people start gathering around him, and and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, He fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was the woman who had had a a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all she had and was no better but rather grew worse. And She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up from behind him in the crowd just to touch his garment. For she said, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately, the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched me? Who touched me? My garments. And his disciples said, you see the crowd pressing around you? How is it that you say, who touched me? But he looked to see who had done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Do you see the themes? Fear and trembling, she falls down before him. Here again, you see Jesus operating in a completely different realm, right? We've seen the physical with all that's going on, or the natural, all that's going on in the sea. We've seen the spiritual, all that's going on in this demon sort of influenced man. And then we see the physical, all that's going on in this woman's body where she has been suffering physically for years and thinks, if I can only just touch him, I'll be made well. When Christ enters chaos, all is made well. She's afraid, having been found out. But Jesus is after her complete healing. Jesus is after her reinstatement in all of society. This isn't some private affair where she can touch a garment. Jesus wants to clear her name. 
heal her entirely. But there's also another daughter in the story. Jesus says in verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. But wasn't there another daughter? Yeah. Yeah, while he's still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not, what's that word? Fear. Only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. And Jesus entered, and he said to them, why are you making such a commotion? She's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And he put them all outside. And look, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and he went in to where the child was. And taking by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Get up, honey. It's time to get up. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Not just disease in terms of the physical, but life and death itself, Jesus has authority over. They're amazed. And his word is to not fear, only believe. Now I've added one more story in, and you'll see in a minute here why. He went away, this is chapter six, verse one, from there and he came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him, and one Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? And how are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, son of Mary and Joseph, brother of James and Joaz and Judas and Simon? Are these not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Do you see it? Who then is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Who then is this? The carpenter's son? Who then is this, Jesus of Nazareth? How will you answer? Mark's agenda is to pack and to pile story after story so that it might become clear what exactly is the identity of Jesus. Who is this man that has changed history over the last several thousand years? Who is this man that some people orient their entire lives around? Why would they do that? Who is this? And the answer is abundantly clear. He's the Christ which of course in the scriptures means the anointed one, which of course in the scriptures means the king, 
The anointed one was the ruler, the king, the one with all authority. Jesus is the one in each of these spheres, whether it's the natural wind and waves, whether it's the spiritual with this demonized man, whether it's the physical with healing disease or with death, whether it's any sphere of life, Jesus has all authority. Except, of course, in the social sphere where his own relatives reject him. Do you see the fearfulness of their world? Do you see the spiritual dangers that were surrounding them? Do you see the physical challenges, life at sea and on land? Do you see the health challenges present there? Who is this that speaks to our fears? Jesus comes with the gospel for the fearful, the good news for those who wrestle with fear. You see, the feeling of chaos in these stories comes, of course, when we feel, just like people here felt, a lack of control. Life gets chaotic, but what if in the midst of the chaos there is one in the boat who has all of control? The feeling of panic comes when we begin to get into those spots in life where we feel powerless to do anything. But what if the one with all power is near you and leading you? That feeling of despair comes when life comes with sudden changes and all of our hope is lost. But what if the one with all healing is available to you? The King of Kings is the one who has come into your chaos and into mine. And he alone can make all things well. That does not mean, of course, that all things become perfect, perfect here and now. For the Spafford family, there was incredible loss. But things had been made well, because when Christ enters chaos, all is made well. And you can see, even here in these stories, how the gospel writer is hinting down the road. The last one especially, right? There is one story in this collection where things aren't well. And it's at home. It's with the very people of Israel, the very people who were his own. Things don't get well there. And it leaves this little hint that there is, in fact, still a brooding kind of chaos coming for Jesus as he enters into the social sphere of his day, a kind of chaos that will one day so capsize him as he goes to the cross. A sphere that is darker, that is deeper, that is more tragic is coming. And it's the one where the identity of Jesus is most clearly revealed. Because on the cross, as he takes on the chaos of our sin, he goes into the grave and makes all things well. Just as he's able to say to the girl, it's time to get up. So in three days, he gets up as well. In the darkest moment, in the darkest hour, Solving the problems of sin, of Satan and death in one moment. I love um, It Is Well with My Soul. It's such a beautiful hymn. And I love it for the way it marries both circumstantial deliverance, peace, and then, of course, vertical, spiritual peace. 
this is what he says, Christ has regarded my helpless estate and he shed his own blood for my soul. The, the comfort of his soul in the midst of chaos is that Jesus is who he said he is, that he is the king of kings. And not is he, not is he a king who stands aloof to our chaos. He's a king who has entered into our chaos in order to make things well. You know, there's a bumper sticker, sweatshirt, coffee cup saying that we just must have fear over faith, faith over fear, rather. I think that's actually too simplistic. If we say, hey, let's just, let's just go faith over fear and rule out fear, the problem is that rules out real life for you and me which is often incredibly fearful. And the real Jesus actually comes to engage with that real stuff of life. And so what I'm suggesting here from these sort of collection of stories in Mark's gospel is that we need not faith over fear to the ignoring of any kind of fear or anxiety. But what we need is a faith-informed fear or a fear-informed faith. We need a fear-informed faith that takes into consideration the challenges of our life, the chaos we experience, the despair we're tempted to, the disease and the challenges in our world, and says, I will let those drive me to faith. Because his control, his power, his authority is more formidable than your fears. Do you believe that Christ cares for you? He shows incredible care in these stories. Do you believe that he welcomes you? He stops the crowd for a moment with the one. Do you believe he sees you even now? Do you believe that Christ sends you? Think about this man, despite all he's done and despite all the damage he's given, this demonized man, Jesus has mercy and then sends. Family, put your confidence in him today. If you put your confidence in him today, you can come to him. If you put your faith in him today, you can go for him. If you put your trust in him today, you can be received by him. But that trust is the key to you living with a fear-inspired faith so that you grapple with the real stuff of life and put your rest and your hope in the Christ who can enter chaos and make all things well. Let's pray. Jesus, you did not ignore or gloss over the difficulties of our existence. You entered them fully. And where hope was gone, you inspired new hope. Where life was gone, you brought new life. Where order was gone, you restored what was right and sound. And we pray that you would do that for us here now in this place and in the things that are going on in our lives in this season. We come to you as the anointed one, the one with all authority, able to calm our fears. And we plead with you, Jesus, to make things well. Would you whisper your peace into our souls? 
just as you did to Horatio Spafford so many years ago. Amen.